And welcome back to Your Lux Ran Out. I'm your host, Julius Lux. If you're tuning in once again, thank you again. If you are joining us for the first time, this is just another sports podcast from a student. Here we're going to talk about some fun topics today. we got the Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker middleweight title fight. We're going to get into that a little bit. We're going to talk about the NBA trade deadline. we got some solid trades to cover, as well as, you know what, the big mega deal. Do I even have to mention it? Yeah, Ben Simmons for James Harden. We're going to get into that. Then we're going to get into a little early preview of quarterback situations for next year, depending on which team. We're going to cover a few teams and what their quarterback situation is looking like, what they should do, and what they should look out for. So, why not wait? Let's get into it right now. Get down to it. Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker. I love me some UFC, I'm not going to lie. It's so fun to watch. It's a good place to get some wings, watch it at a, bar, a sports bar, a restaurant, you know? Don't have to pay. I mean, I mean, they're so expensive to pay for, but who cares? Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker, we got ourselves a rematch. Last time these two fought was back in October of 2019, where Adesanya won by knockout in the second round, becoming the undisputed middleweight champion of the world. Adesanya is one of my favorite fighters, personally. So fast. Electric. The dude has it all. He's got great great striker, great, great hands, you know. This guy can fight. And the guy just has a chip on his shoulder. He's got the swag. He's got the, he's got the pop, you know what I'm saying? He's, he, knows, he, he knows how to carry himself in a way that, like, is entertaining. So Israel Adesanya, you know, he's got the advantage in height and reach, 80-inch reach compared to Whitaker's 73-and-a-half-inch. That was the measurements from the first fight. So, not, you know, anything could change, but that's most likely going to be the same number, second second matchup. So we're going to go back to 2019 real quick. Um, Robert Whitaker lost that fight because he looked anxious. He admitted that Israel got in his head a little bit, which absolutely plays a role if you let your opponent get into your head, especially when you're fighting. You're gonna mess. You're you're bound to mess up. And what Whitaker would do is he would just he would go in like ducking his head and just swinging for his life. It just looked like uh, what put Whitaker down in the second round was simple. Like I said, he was he was not fighting Robert Whitaker's fight. He was fighting Israel Adesanya's. Whitaker is a guy that knows how to wrestle and grapple. He's got great skills on the ground, but he did not bother putting Israel on the ground once last fight. He was fighting Adesanya's fight, like I just said. Uh, Izzy was keeping a safe, comfortable distance, staying patient, and just waited for the moment to deliver a big hit. Whitaker just kept coming in closer and closer, trying to shorten the distance between the two and just throwing punches, leaning in, ducking his head of some sort. It kind of looked like what Nate Robinson was doing to Jake Paul. Obviously not the same thing. Whitaker knows how to fight. That's the difference, obviously. But if Whitaker did not get dropped in the end of round one in the, in the first fight, he may have won the round because he landed the most hits. But when Whitaker went all in, ducking his head and just throwing hands, Adesanya found an opening and landed a nice uppercut to drop Whitaker right when the bell rang. And the announcers were even thrown off. They thought that was the fight. That's how good of a hit it was. He uppercutted right to the jaw and dropped Whitaker. It was a heck of a hit. Second round, Whitaker did the same thing. Rushed in, trying to land hits, hooks. He got some decent head kicks in. I will give him that. He had some nice hits. But after landing a decent hit out of Sanya, both started throwing hands. Izzy is just so quick. He hit Robert right with a clean hit to the chin. 
knocking him down. Adesanya went, came rushing in, and that's when the ref just called it. He, the, Whitaker was bleeding from the nose. His face was all busted. Whitaker can't go into this fight doing the same thing that he did last fight. And that's very obvious to say, but he needs to get Adesanya on the ground. Adesanya's got the advantage in the striking. Adesanya is one of the most successful strikers in the UFC, and he's way faster and quicker than Whitaker is. Um, Whitaker needs to find a way to get Izzy on the ground. And like I said before, it didn't happen once last fight. Not one single takedown attempt. The last time Adesanya fought, he surrendered seven takedowns. So his takedown defense is pretty weak last fight. If I'm Whitaker, I'm trying to find a way to get you on the ground. I mean, you can't lose twice to the same guy. I just feel like you just can't afford to do that in the UFC. It just proves that if you were to lose twice, the other guy is just clearly better than you. And both these guys have amazing resumes in the UFC. Adesanya can't let this match become a wrestling match. That's the only way he's going to win again. Whitaker has to take the advantage in the ground game and get him on the ground. Whitaker needs to find a way to make this fight ugly and dirty. And by that, I obviously mean a wrestling match. The announcer said this too, um, first fight. They said, Whitaker cannot make this a clean, nice little, you know, dancing around fight. He needs to get this fight rough. And I believe this is the only way he's going to win this rematch. Seven takedowns from Izzy, Izzy's last fight, as I mentioned before. Why not try to get him on the ground again? I know he's fast, but Whitaker's takedown skills, wrestling skills, he's got all the advantage when it comes to any part of the ground game in this match. So if I'm Robert Whitaker, if I'm Bobby Knuckles, I'm getting Adesanya on the ground as best as I can. I would not rush it because Adesanya was so patient, so comfortable to where he was like just chilling and then bam, big hit. Bam, big hit. Adesanya landed the right hits last fight. He didn't land much, but it was the ones that knocked him down. Robert Whitaker. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a funny moment here. Robert Whitaker, if you are listening, get Adesanya on the ground. I love Izzy, one of my favorite fighters, like I said. But if you want to win, buddy, you gotta get him on the ground. It's that simple. Easier said than done, but it's simple in terms of your game plan. You cannot fight a striking, throwing hands fight against Adesanya. You can't. Look what happened last time. Get him on the ground. So in terms of like favoritism, I got Adesanya, but I will not be surprised if this becomes a wrestling match. And in terms of that, Whitaker will take the dub on this one. We're going to shift to the NBA right now. So we're going to give a little shout out to LaMelo Ball and DeJounte Murray. They both are replacements for the All-Star game. LaMelo replaces Kevin Durant. DeJounte Murray replaces Draymond Green. Congrats to both. As I said last episode, they were snubs and they do deserve it. Still believe Jared Allen should be an All-Star, but that's just me. But we're not going to talk about that right now. We are going to talk about the NBA trade deadline and what occurred yesterday. We're going to save the best for last. So before you ask to yourself, when am I going to cover Simmons and Harden? It's going to be last. We're saving the best for last. We're going to start with probably the earliest big deal. Uh, the Cavaliers did acquire Indiana Pacers guard Karis LeVert and a second round pick via Miami in exchange for Ricky Rubio and a first round pick and two second round picks. The Pacers also got a 2022 second round draft pick via Houston. The Cavaliers are also sending a 2027 second round pick via the Utah Jazz. Massive win on Cleveland's end. This gives Cleveland a huge boost in the scoring department. Much needed boost because, you know, every team needs scoring. 
that simple. This is a very this is a this is a scoring league now. Everyone needs to shoot from distance. Karis LeVert can contribute big time for that. And especially when the team is contending for the Eastern playoffs, um, as well as probably the Eastern title, um, this is, you know, the right move for Cleveland. Vlert is averaging over 18 points a game, shooting nearly 45% from the field and 32% from deep. The Cavaliers are obviously the biggest surprise in the NBA. No one saw this team even coming close to being a playoff team, yet they're one of the top teams in the East right now. Lavert is reunited with former Brooklyn Net teammate Jared Allen, and they look to give the Cavs a push to the higher seeds of the Eastern Conference. A great addition after Colin Sexton is also missing the year with a torn meniscus. Um, he also joins sides with Darius Garland, Rookie of the Year candidate Evan Mobley as Cleveland becomes finals contenders, if you want to put it at that. The Pacers made another deal, too. They dished DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, and Justin Holiday. Off to the Sacramento Kings for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. This one was an interesting deal. So I believe the Pacers win this deal because they are achieving their goal and what they need to do. Rebuild. They've been in the playoffs consistently the last couple years. They were in the play-in last year. They lost to Washington last to end their season last year. I love the addition of Halliburton in terms of rebuilding. Buddy Heald would be moved again, I think, if the deal is right, but never came. So it looks like Buddy's going to be stuck there. And I think Tristan Thompson will most likely buy out. I can see Tristan Thompson, if he buys out, he's going to go to a team like the Lakers. I just see it happening. I expect Indiana to move Miles Turner, but they didn't. And I was also expecting Malcolm Brogdon to get some interest, but no deals were made otherwise from Indiana this deadline. The Pacers get a young shot creator and a perfect start in their rebuild, I believe. The Kings, they get an all-star in Sabonis. No doubt a solid player, most likely the best player on Sacramento's squad right now. Halliburton finished third in the Rookie of the Year last season, and he was pairing, he's paired well with Fox, and he rose to be in the starting rotation at, at just the age of 21. They enjoy Davion Mitchell's defense because the Kings are a bottom-tier team in terms of defense, so I believe Mitchell's going to get more minutes now that Halliburton's gone. And they also acquired DiVincenzo, the Kings, so I believe they're going to get some shooting now in the two-guard spot. Both Fox and Mitchell are not efficient scorers this year. Fox struggled mightily this year. It's, it's honestly disappointing, and I thought Fox was going to be the one that was going to get moved. But it, I guess, you know, when you're struggling, it's hard to get the solid value in return. So I think the only way the Kings were going to get some solid value in return was moving Halliburton. And Halliburton was the centerpiece in the Ben Simmons talks with the Kings and 76ers, but the deal didn't happen. Halliburton was a steal in the NBA draft. He was picked 12th overall in the 2020 draft, and he'll be making $10 million combined over the remaining two seasons on his rookie contract. Indiana takes in a guard that is also cheap with two years left in his rookie contract, and I'm sure they're going to extend them when the time comes. Sabonis on the Kings side. He's now paired with Rashawn Holmes, and um, Holmes is not a floor spacer. Turner was more, you know, he was more of a floor spacer, especially compared to Rashawn Holmes. Sabonis is going to have more responsibilities, I believe, now. You know, fast breaks. He's going to have some extra work to do. In their debuts, though, the new Sacramento players did well. Sabonis put up a double-double with 22 points, 14 boards. Jeremy Lamb added 14 points along with that. Kings are significantly lower than a 500 team. However, with the play-in tournament in effect now, and the West being weaker this year compared to the last year or two, I think the King I think what the Kings are trying to do and believe in adding a star is they have enough to get into the play in. I thought they were gonna trade Barnes and maybe, you know, for some picks and prospects to build around Fox and Halliburton. But with Halliburton getting dished away, um, 
it looks like Sabonis is their guy now. They're going to pair him and Fox, you know, pick and rolls. They're going to have to figure that out. Now, the Kings make it seem like they're going to make a giant push for the playoffs in, in acquiring a two-time All-Star. But, like I said, they're not better than the top-seeded teams. They're not going to take down the Suns. They're not going to take down the Warriors. They're not going to take down the Jazz. They're not going to take down the Grizzlies. Could they make a, a decent push for that last playoff spot? Yeah. If Sabonis is the guy that, you know, they're acquiring, if they get the guy that was a two-time All-Star, the guy that's averaging a double-double the last couple of years, sure, they can make the play-in. They can sweep through that. Is it going to be tough? Obviously. I do not see the Kings making a big push for the playoffs, even with this trade. So when you trade your first-round pick, who was a, a Rookie of the Year candidate last year, a shot creator, young guy, like I said, he's only 21, he'll be 22 in a couple weeks. It just baffles me. I mean, good for the Pacers. They won the deal. They, they, they did what they were you know, seeking out to do. They were trying to rebuild. The Kings, I mean, they've made some, they, they've had top picks several times over the last several years. I swear, every year it seems like the Kings are within the top 10. They're always a lottery pick. How many of those guys do you know of now? Like, they drafted Marvin Bagley, a beast out in college at Duke. He just got traded away to Detroit this this deadline. Thomas Robinson was drafted several years ago. I bet you don't even remember that name. DeAndre Fox is probably the best name they've drafted besides Halliburton. And Halliburton is in his second year in the NBA. Fox is struggling mightily this season, as I mentioned before. His numbers are all down this season. So, I mean, I don't know what the Kings are doing. I mean, it's going to take some time for them to, you know, mesh this new team in. The Kings do get a shooter in Jeremy Lamb. He ain't no Tyrese Halliburton. Sabonis is a beast, for sure. He's their guy now. Can he handle that? Indiana was not over the top team in the East when Sabonis... Brogdon, Turner, even when Oladipo was there. Oladipo was their guy until he got hurt. Then Sabonis was the next big guy up on that team. They didn't make a push. They were usually eliminated first round. Last year, they didn't even make the playoffs. They made the play-in tournament. They lost to Westbrook, Beal, and that Wizards team. As I mentioned before, the Kings did add Dante DiVincenzo, um, player for the Milwaukee Bucks, in a four-team trade. I'm going to read it out for you. This will probably be the only big trade that I'll actually read out because there was a lot of trades that we can talk about and get into each detail, but I'm only going to mention this one because it was a four-team trade. And this is something you know. These four-team trades, they're, they're pretty exciting. But this one was interesting, and I'll, I'll get to it. Dante DiVincenzo, Trey Lyles, Josh Jackson are heading to the Kings. The Clippers are getting Rodney Hood and, and Semi Augele. The Pistons are getting Marvin Bagley the third. The Bucks are getting Serge Ibaka, two second-round picks, and cash. What I find interesting is that the Bucks added Ibaka. And I love the addition of Serge Ibaka. He is obviously not what he was in OKC and his early days. But the Bucks, the reigning champions, go into the deadline and make an addition. They add depth in the big man department, and they get another guy 
that is not no scrub. This guy can play. This guy will do his role. He will fill his role. He will get the job done and he will contribute to your team, especially in a winning culture where Ibaka has won a ring with Toronto and he's been surrounded by winning teams, not just with the Raptors, but if you remember, he was a part of that Oklahoma City team with Durant, Westbrook, and that was when Ibaka was, you know, the best shot blocker in the league. I like this addition a lot because it tells you the Milwaukee Bucks are looking to repeat. They went out and got P.J. Tucker last year. They get Ibaka this year. And I really, really like the addition of Serge Ibaka to the Bucks. I really do. Um, the Pelicans. This one was another interesting deal. They acquired C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance, and Tony Snell. The Blazers would get Josh Hart, three other players. 2022 protected first-round pick and two second-round picks. This trade will end the era of the Lillard-McCollum backcourt duo. And since they've been teammates, Portland has has been to the playoffs every single year. This season, McCollum is averaging just about 20.5 points per game, about 4.5 assists, and nearly 4.5 rebounds as well. And he gives the Pelicans a reliable backcourt option who can hit from long range. McCollum can shoot. We all know this. McCollum is a solid player, all-star contender, all-star potential player every year. Gives the Pelicans a better chance to make the play-in tournament for a playoff spot and gives another piece to pair up with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. If Zion does return this season, which the way it looks, it looks like he's not. And honestly, I believe the Pelicans should sit him out for the rest of the year. These three together could be a force. I don't mean that in a threatening way. I just mean this team can push for the playoffs. New Orleans, like I said, not a legit contender. This trade does push this team not above the Suns, the Warriors. You know, they're not above those teams. Zion is still not active, and this is a massive loss. We see what this young kid can do, and Zion is a special talent. But his health has not been reliable so far since he's been in the league. And I think this trade occurred because this gives Zion a reason to stay in New Orleans. We all know it's been kind of questionable if he actually wants to play for New Orleans. I mean, we saw the disappointment in his face when he was, you know, the New Orleans Pelicans select Zion Williamson. It was destined for him to be a Nick, and it didn't happen. And I think Zion wanted to play for the Knicks. And now he's got his buddies, RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish with the Knicks. So what is the only way to keep Zion Williamson on a team where it doesn't even seem like he's 100% committed to in his future? You got to get an all-star. And I think that's what this trade was basically proven. I think, you know, McCollum should have been like on a, a winning contending team. For example, the 76ers. They needed help. They obviously got their guy, James Harden. But I'm just saying before this, before the Harden trade even existed, I think McCollum to the 76ers would have been solid. It would have been a very nice deal. But he goes to New Orleans, a team that is not a threat. On Portland's side, though, they avoid the luxury tax. They'll create cap space in the future. Nurkic is on an expiring contract. I thought he was going to get traded as well, and I honestly, I would have. But I think Portland's just throwing in the towel for this season because Lillard is still shut down with his abdominal injury. The Blazers do not spend money available that they have coming when it comes to you know free agency and so forth. Lillard might want to think about leaving Portland because his shot of winning there is just dwindling as it exists. And now that his, that his buddy CJ is gone, it's just, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think, I don't think Lillard's going to ever win again unless they decide to spend some money and get it, get like, a, you know, an under the radar team. Like if you look at the Suns starting five, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, superstars. Jay Crowder fills his role. 
Bridges fills his role. Aiton doesn't have number one overall pick talent, but he's still solid. I think the I think if Nurkic can actually learn how to play defense a little bit and be what he potentially can be, because we all know Nurkic has talent. He just doesn't seem like he's just in a hundred percent every time. Stephen A. Smith has note has coined this, and I see the same thing. And if they spend money on the right guys, they don't even have to get like a superstar. But if you can get like multiple under the radar guys to fill a starting five, find a way to push for a top West seed with Lillard's talent, and let's say Nurkic actually puts screws his head on right. I think Portland has a decent shot, but like I said, I don't think that's going to happen at all. I'm sorry. Um, other trades that happened. Porzingis is going to the Wizards for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dave Burton's. Montrez Harrell is going to Charlotte. Joe Ingles, who's missing the rest of the year, he's going to Portland. Drogic and Thaddeus Young swap teams, so that means Drogic's going to the Spurs. Thaddeus Young's going to Toronto. I like this trade a lot. It's Eric White is going to Boston for Josh Richardson, and the Celtics also dealt Ole Bull and P.J. Dozer to Orlando moments before the, the Derek White trade. And then Dennis Schroeder is going to Houston for Daniel Tice. So the Celtics are getting their fan favorite, Tice, back. And Schroeder is going to be rebuilding Houston team. And, you know, Celtic Nation really wanted to get rid of Schroeder. He's not been a favorite for basically any NBA team after what he did with the Lakers. So, you know, the right team to go to is a team that's just not contending at all, and that's the Houston Rockets. Now the moment you've been waiting for. We got a deal between the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. James Harden and Paul Millsap are heading to Philly. Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, two first-round picks. They are going to Brooklyn. The 76ers and Ben Simmons era is officially over. Uh, Ben Simmons played no games this year. The trio of KD, Kyrie, and Harden is over. 16 games played together in just over a year. Done. We see James Harden's numbers are down this year. I mentioned this last episode, but I believe he'll actually fully commit now to his talent on the court when he, when you know he's content, he's happy. The pick and roll with Embiid is going to be lethal. It's going to be gross. Um, isolation game is going to be dangerous as well. Harden will be opting into his $47.3 million player option now that he has been traded. He was wanting to test free agency, but now that he is in a location where he wants to play, he will be getting $47.3 million next year. Must be nice. He wanted to be dealt to Philly. Uh, the rumors of him signing there the offseason where um, he was going to opt out, like I mentioned before, but he is now in Philly. He got his wish. He's reunited with Moray, his former guy in Houston, GM over there. However, he could not go to Brooklyn and say, I want to be traded. Um, I believe Harden, there was a rumor that said Harden was too scared of the public going to bash him for wanting out of a franchise for the second time in two years. Well, honestly, you know what? You deserve it, James Harden. You deserve the backlash. I'm going to tell you why. Houston, you show up overweight to the season. You get karma by getting traded to Brooklyn. You get you deal with a hamstring injury, especially during the playoffs when you're much needed. Kyrie goes down with an ankle injury. He got his karma. That's another story. Him holding out and not playing, then decides to show up. Boom, ankle injury. You deserve it. You show up with a hat, like one leg, basically, to the playoffs. You play through it, props to you. But you're obviously not playing well. The hamstring thing, honestly, I don't even know what to believe because now it just seems like, you know, he's playing where he wants. That hamstring injury is about to just mysteriously go away. Happened last year, and now all of a sudden, it's he's unhappy and it's lingering. Uh, Joel Embiid got his help, finally. 
Simmons drama is gone in Philly. I bet Philly Nation is celebrating. They don't have to worry about another Ben Simmons meme or nothing like that. They don't have to worry about just wondering when he's going to return because obviously I don't think it would have happened. Ben Simmons obviously played the situation like, you know, very immaturely by holding out just because his coach called him out, just because the organization called him out. Um, you have a key player that will now actually show up and who is happy to be there and wants to win. James Harden wants to win, but he shows it in a very, very intriguing way. If he's not happy, he's not going to show up to play in terms of bringing his talents to the court. He is averaging 22 and 10, but his numbers in terms of efficiency, shooting percentage, everything is down. It's been down since he's became a starter in the NBA, which is basically like a decade at this, just about a decade. If, if so, it is. Um, so we've seen Harden play with many, many stars. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook early in his career. Goes to Houston. Dwight Howard shows up. He's gone. Chris Paul shows up. He's gone. Harden then goes to Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. I really believe Kyrie holding out has a lot to do with James Harden's departure and want, and desire to leave. You can't blame Kevin Durant. You can't. He's done nothing wrong since he's been with Brooklyn in terms of missing out. He hasn't held out about anything. The only time he's missed games is when he's injured. And, you know, injuries happen. You can ask Harden. Apparently he's got one. He's been holding out a little bit. But Kyrie basically not getting the vaccine. When, you know, I, I'm not like, if you don't want to get it, so be it. But when it's a league policy, it's just like, it's it's hindering your team that you can't show up and be a part-time player, basically. And it just so happens to be that, you know, he plays for a team in New York. New York is much stricter with their vaccine policies. And you can't play in New York if you're not vaccinated. It just so happens to be the wrong location for Kyrie Irving. And when you need your guy, Kyrie Irving, who's obviously the wingman of Kevin Durant, but if you are going to be much needed in the playoffs and you can't play in home games, it's going to be tough. So back to Harden, though. Harden has played with many stars. Can Joel Embiid be the actual fit? I believe so. And the only reason I'm going to tell you is why. Both these guys, I believe, need to sit down and say, look, I want to win. You want to win. We need a ring on this finger. We need, to, we need to make this work. Harden seems to be happy now that he's in Philly. Embiid is playing like an MVP. He probably will be if he continues this stretch. He's averaging almost 30 points as a center. Embiid is playing like a monster this season. I believe that pick and roll is going to be a go-to. I believe the ISO game, like I said with Harden, he needs to get his he needs to get his groove back and get those get those percentages up because Harden's gonna have to play a much bigger role now that Brooklyn deals away a shooter in Seth Curry. Harden needs to be a guy where he can get the job done if Embiid is not available. Simmons goes to Brooklyn along with Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. Ben Simmons cannot shoot, it's that simple. We all know this. When it comes to scoring, especially from three, Simmons cannot achieve the goal. He apparently works on his shot in so many different ways. His brother was teaching him how to shoot at one point. The game is about scoring. He gets his points from driving to the basket. He's not reliable in the free throw line. But why is this deal an advantage on Brooklyn's side? Simmons has top-tier defense. He is going to be taking up the ball, I believe, as well for Brooklyn. I think they'll give Kyrie and KD a nice, you know, 
relaxed time getting to their positions to get the play formation going and whatever. I think Ben Simmons will be the guy that'll take the ball up and give Kyrie and Katie some nice relaxation and moving the co- moving up the court. Like I said, great defender, and I think he's going to operate the. He's, he, he can play point. He can play the four. Ben Simmons has size. He's a six ten point guard. He can play multiple positions. Reports say that he's still working with his therapist to get mentally ready for the court. He has spoken with Kevin Durant. He's excited for the change and is getting ready to get back to work. I believe he's physically ready. Mentally, he needs to get back in as soon as possible. I'm not rushing because mental health is very important. I'm a big believer in that. But when you haven't played all year and you get traded, you get the wish that you wanted, and you're pairing up with a guy with Kevin Durant who's been let down by Kyrie Irving, a guy that he said, I wanted to play with. He wanted to play with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie has let him down. James Harden came in. Harden now lets KD down. Harden doesn't want to be there because Harden doesn't want to be the number one guy while KD and Kyrie are out. Because that team that team without KD is atrocious. Their 10-game win streak is just brutal. The way they've lost, the games they've lost. They lost last night, which was a much-needed, like, we need to win this game against Washington. Didn't happen. I hope to see Ben Simmons this season. I really do, and I believe he will. Like, I obviously believe it, but I, I don't know at this point. He hasn't played one game this year. He didn't show up to Philly at all. And I think Kevin Durant, deep down, is like, dude, I just want somebody that's, you know, reliable to play with. And the best value to a player is availability. Kyrie Irving is not available, and Ben Simmons hasn't played one game this year. If I had to guess when Ben Simmons is returning, it's going to be after the All-Star break. Brooklyn also gets another shooter with Seth Curry. I believe this is, you know, a a great addition. I thought they were going to get either Thibel or Maxi, you know, a nice young player to to help Brooklyn, you know, move forward with Kevin Durant and so forth. But you know what? I like Seth Curry's addition. Another shooter. He's going to most likely, you know, fill the shooting role for Joe Harris, who's been out most of the year with an injury. I believe Andre Drummond's also a very nice piece um, to add. Andre Drummond, you know, he's done well as a backup in Philly. We know his rebounding abilities. He's led the league multiple times. Good defender in the inside. Andre Drummond's like a better, he's a better backup role player than Paul Millsap will be. Um, I didn't even see like Brooklyn trading, you know, any of the big three because, you know, they played they played really well when they all three were together, even though it was 16 games. I believe they would have beaten Milwaukee if Kyrie didn't go down and Harden, you know, had the lingering hamstring injury. I believe this trade is more about eliminating the drama too. It was like an it was almost like a here you go deal. Like this has to happen. I'm tired, you're tired, let's get this done. Brooklyn could have pushed, like I said, for Thibel or Maxi, but I believe they would have not gotten two first-round picks when it was weird because Philly wanted first-round picks, but then they give away two. But like I said, I do believe Curry gives Brooklyn improvement in the shooting. You know, another guy to have around because they don't have much shooting. When KD's out, Harden's apparently out, and Kyrie's a f- half a player. Simmons adds a much-needed boost on defense. At first, I thought Drummond was going to get bought out, but you know what? I think he should stay. Like I said, great rebounder and plays a solid backup. Did Philly give up too much? You know, a shooter, two first-round picks, and we don't know how James Harden's going to behave in the future. He's already opted in with Philly for next year, so he's going to be a 76er next year. This is why I believe Brooklyn wins the trade because this could potentially be a, a, a bust move on Philly's department because we don't know what James Harden's going to be up to. Harden is on his third team in just about two years. This is the second time Harden has pushed himself away from an organization. He's pushed other players away. He pushed Dwight Howard away. He pushed Chris Paul away. 
he pushed himself out of Houston. Now he pushes himself out of Brooklyn. At least it's, you know, he's paired up with the MVP of the year this year, probably. But will James Harden be the player we know he is? All this, you know, numbers are going down. All the percentages, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, all of this down, his efficiency's down. He's content. He has no excuse now. He has no excuse to not be the guy we know who he is. Joel Embiid is the number one guy in Philly. But James Harden has to step up because now their be- one of their best shooters, Seth Curry, is gone. Danny Green is not reliable. Solid player in terms of, you know, a guy to have on your team. James Harden needs to be James Harden. We've seen the successes of a, of a guard and a big man. We've seen Sh- Magic and Kareem, Kobe and Shaq, D-Wade and Shaq. I'm just naming a few. And these are guys that are obviously way better than this, this two. But Harden is definitely one of the best, you know, shooting guards we've ever seen play in this game. His days in Houston, you know, were just unbelievable. Embiid is now just, he, he knows he's the most dominant big man in the league. He has that chip on his shoulder. I believe Embiid has played better and the best. I, I, let me correct myself. He's played his best time in basketball after he, he put up zero points against Toronto. If you remember this, he cried when Kawhi Leonard hit that amazing shot. He bawled his eyes out, national TV. The next time Philly played Toronto, Embiid had zero points. Zero points. And since then, it just seems like he's played the best basketball when he's healthy. So it all depends which James Harden is going to show up. Is it the guy that we've seen the last two years? The guy who's just, you know... It just looks like he's craving attention and it's just he's just not happy anywhere he goes. He's in winning environments, but he just, you know, he isn't happy. Or is he gonna get the guy that we've seen in Houston? The guy that was happy to have the basketball in his hands, go to work, take you down. His playoffs, you know, we've seen him we've seen him so called choke in the playoffs. No playoff success really. They were one game away from going to the finals if Chris Paul didn't go down back in the Houston days. But I believe James Harden will show up because he's happy. And when he's healthy, if that's even, you know, if the hamstring thing's even existing anymore, God knows if that's actually real. Philly, you know, they can win the, they can win this trade if they, you know, exceed their expectations and Harden exceeds the expectations of what we've seen. We know what he can do. It's just a matter of will he apply it. Deal is finally done. Everyone will be waiting for March 10th when Philly and Brooklyn match up. Hopefully we get a playoff matchup between these two because Ben Simmons going to Philly is going to be pretty crazy. Harden's return to Brooklyn is going to be, you know, New York New York fans, insane. Harden was also drafted in last night's All-Star draft. He was drafted dead last, not by Kevin Durant's team because we know Kevin Durant is not a happy camper about this in terms of Harden betraying him. I bet he's excited to get Ben Simmons and a guy that wants to play. You know, a guy that wants to actually play with him. A guy that'll be happier in a new new scenery. But when you get Kevin Durant on happy, he's going to make you pay. And I believe that's going to happen. So I believe Brooklyn wins this trade. No Laker trades were made yesterday. Westbrook stays. Uh, it looks like 
the Lakers, you know, they're going to look into the buyout market. And honestly, that's just a joke at this point with the way this team is. Russell Westbrook stays. And like I said, when you're str- when you're a struggling superstar in terms of probably the biggest struggle any superstar has ever faced in their career, it's hard to get value back. And honestly, they, sh- they could have traded him for a bag of peanuts, and that would have been better. That's how bad Russell Westbrook has been this season. That's how bad the Los Angeles Lakers have disappointed the basketball world. You know what makes it depressing, too, is the fact when we saw LeBron go to the Lakers, we saw Kawhi go to the Clippers, we saw Durant go to the the Nets. We thought we were going to get maybe a Lakers-Nets finals. We may never get that matchup. We may never get another LeBron and Kevin Durant finals matchup again. We really thought the Lakers and the Nets were going to match up and have another, you know, Cavaliers-Warriors type of setting never happened and it probably won't happen i don't see the lakers getting by through the playoffs now no deals were done it just seems like they're giving up they're throwing in the towel and just praying to god they make the playoffs lebron has had no help in terms of you know the big expectations from anthony davis and russell westbrook i wrote an article for my internship where i said the russell westbrook trade is could potentially be a huge issue because they did not gain a shooter they had a chance to get buddy healed but they went with westbrook and you see Russell Westbrook, who, you know, I think he, I'm pretty sure he averaged a triple-double last season with Washington. He picked it up in the second half of the season. He is, you know, he's a star. He's a first, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Russell Westbrook's one of the best point guards in this era. So you're obviously going to pick Russell Westbrook over Buddy Heald. But when you need shooting, you got to play it smart. You can't rely on a, a 37-year-old Carmelo Anthony. You can't rely on Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn. You can't rely on these bench guys that they all just signed up. They signed Trevor Ariza. Stanley Johnson was their second best player at one point. Stanley Johnson. Stanley Johnson. Anthony Davis, not, not reliable to be healthy. And now Westbrook's not even playing in crunch time moments. The Lakers are the biggest losers in this trade deadline. They are. No deals. Another team that I believe that lost was the New York Knicks. They should have made a deal, I believe. I don't know if they were going to, you know, try to add somebody or, you know, dish away the players that, you know, are needed to be dealt. Like I heard Cam Reddish was already going to be on his way out. You know, Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, they were rumored. Never happened. So the Knicks make no deals. Knicks are also the losers in this deadline. And like I said, I think the Lakers are the biggest losers just for making no deals. Everyone on Twitter just seemed to be laughing about it. When it was brought up on NBA Today on ESPN, Lakers are looking for a buyout. Kendrick Perkins and Richard Jefferson laughed. They laughed. I laughed. I was like, really? You're going to expect to get a game-changing player in the buyout market? Come on, dude. Like, really? Russell Westbrook is not as old as you think. Anthony Davis is a young, is still young. Anthony Davis should be the best big man in the league, but it just seems like he can't stay healthy. And I believe he just has more you know, gas in the tank that he just doesn't let out. He got cooked by Giannis Antetokounmpo when they played the Bucks the other night. Giannis whooped ADs behind. That shouldn't happen if you're Anthony Davis. That should not happen. You should be basically what Joel Embiid is right now. I believe so. The NBA, you know, like I said, we're moving forward. We're, get, we're getting into the All-Star break. Should be a nice matchup. Team LeBron, Team KD both got some solid players on their starting lineup. LeBron's starting lineup, of course, insane. KD's got the young talent. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be fun. Bunch of first-time guys. And like I said, the next generation is here.
It is in the NBA. The next generation is here. We're going to now shift forward to the National Football League, the NFL. First, we're going to just cover slightly. Nothing crazy, just the NFL Honors Awards were announced last night. Honestly, I'm in, I'm in all agreements with you know just about every award. Micah Parsons deserves Defensive Rookie of the Year. T.J. Watt, Defensive Player of the Year. Jamar Chase, Offensive Rookie of the Year deserved. Cooper Cup, Offensive Player of the Year deserved. I would have liked to see Tom Brady win MVP, but Aaron Rodgers, back-to-back years, winning MVP. His fourth unbelievable career that Aaron Rodgers has had. The only thing that threw me off is how did Devin Hester not make the Hall of Fame in his first year on the ballot? That is the only thing that gets to me. But otherwise, you know, I agree with all the awards. Shout out to Dan Quinn getting assistant coach of the year. I also think that was deserved. I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. Fortunate how, you know, this team, the way the team is. But I am glad to see Dan Quinn is staying as well as he is the assistant coach of the year. Joe Burrow wins comeback player of the year. Well-deserved. Hard to argue Dak Prescott winning over Joe Burrow when Burrow is taking his team to the Super Bowl. So props to Joe Shiesty over there in Cincinnati and good luck to him in this Super Bowl coming up against the Rams. I like going into an offseason where the quarterback position is in question for plenty of teams. We got several teams that have potential new quarterbacks next year. And when it comes to getting a quarterback, we got to examine the right fit with their current coaching staff the current situation in terms of the team's win-loss record and where they're going moving forward. We're going to start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Currently, they have Blaine Gabbert and Kyle Trask, who was a second-round pick in 2021. With that being said, I do not think the Buccaneers are going to draft another quarterback. They have pick number 27, and I just think that's just too far behind in terms of drafting a quarterback first round because I believe the top three guys will be picked before the 27th overall selection. They do not need to draft another quarterback, and I doubt a running quarterback such as Cam Newton, Marcus Mariota, and Tyrod Taylor are going to fit in Tampa's, not just Tampa, but Bruce Arians' game plan and situations. Those guys are the bottom-tier QBs anyhow. The one guy I would be really interested to see go to Tampa is a possible Jameis Winston reunion. Seems to be best if they, you know, don't stick with their quarterbacks right now. Jameis Winston is coming off a torn ACL this past season, and he was by far on on pace to have the best season of his career with the Saints. The Bucs did draft Winston number one overall back in 2015. Coming out of college, Winston had a Heisman Trophy, a national championship on his college resume at Florida State, not to mention only losing once as a starter in college, and that was to Marcus Mariota against Oregon. First career game was against Tennessee and against second overall pick in that draft, Mariota. First NFL pass was a pick six. First Pro Bowl in his rookie year, also his only one. Bruce Arians took over in 2019, and in his Bucs stint, he never reached the playoffs. That year in 2019, Winston became the first player to throw 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions in the same season. He also led the league in yards that year. Supposedly, he was playing the season with a broken thumb and some sort of knee injury, but he led the league in yards, like I just said. He threw over 5,100 yards. Now, Sean Payton is no longer the head coach of the Saints, and the Saints, who also need a QB, could move with Jameis or move on from Jameis. I believe with the new staff, though, I think they're going to move on with Jameis as well as the injury, dealing with the injury. This could be the best option for Tampa is bringing back, you know, a familiar face in in Jameis Winston. Jimmy Garoppolo, 35-16 total record, including playoffs as a starter in San Francisco. Not the best quarterback, clearly. He is a winner. He's been in winning atmospheres, though. Brady's backup, been Kyle Shanahan's man the last couple of years. 
than in a Super Bowl, NFC Championship this year. This is the most interesting way to go. And honestly, I think I would take this route in terms of being cheap and trusting in your second-round pick in Kyle Trask. Drew Locke. The Broncos seemed done with him after they got Bridgewater. And Bridgewater suffered an injury, and that's the only time Drew Locke really ever saw the field. Locke enters his final year of his rookie contract, and they could gamble on Drew Locke. If he does well, the Bucks look good. If he struggles, that's where Kyle Trask comes in. He'll get a shot, we'll see if the second-round pick was worth it. He got two years of being back up to Tom Brady. Tom Brady's your mentor. Get to watch the guy practice, compete, go about his game. That's a pretty solid way to get your career started. And you're not even playing. You're watching the greatest of all time right ahead of you. Learning everything from the GOAT. Why not give Kyle Trask a shot? Great, great last year in college at University of Florida. Give him a shot. Screw it. See what happens. Green Bay. Next, ne- next team, Green Bay. This all depends if Aaron Rodgers kisses Green Bay goodbye. I don't think he's going to kiss him. I think he's going to honestly flip him off after all that they've been through. They drafted Jordan Love in the first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. In fact, they traded up to select him at number 26 in an unexpected fashion. And Aaron Rodgers was doing just fine, as we all know, because it's Aaron Rodgers. Love didn't play at all in 2020. He did not play so well, completing 19 of his 34 pass attempts, 190 yards with a touchdown and a pick. Heavily limited playing time and struggling when he hit the field hinders his possible future as a Green Bay starter. Rodgers didn't start for the first three years of his career. He was playing behind Brett Favre. He had more potential and promise than Love did, but the Packers drafted Rodgers first round while Favre was a QB in Green Bay. Favre was in his late 30s when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. Currently, Rodgers is in his late 30s. They drafted Jordan Love. We do not know if Love's below average, you know, to be nice, performance is what we're going to see consistently. We do not know him that well because of his lack of playing time and, and basically lack of knowing him. We know nothing about this kid. Rodgers has had the same journey. Didn't know much besides what we saw. Through the first two seasons, Rodgers completed only 15 of his 31 passes for 111 yards. He struggled big time. But look at him now. We're not saying this is Jordan Love. I'm not saying this is going to be the same fairy tale story. But if Rodgers leaves, I think it's fair to give the first round pick a shot, especially to not expose the franchise any more than they have already been over the years. You need to give a first round pick a shot, first round quarterback a shot. Or else you look foolish to run Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks in this generation and possibly all time, to run him out of the organization without giving your so-called future a shot. And the one shot you give him, he struggled. It can't be like a spot start, what Love was put into. It can't. I'm talking about reps with the first team, practicing with guys on the top of the depth charts, knowing the system, getting comfortable with the system, and see what he's got. It is a huge boomer bust moment, and I believe out of all the situations we're talking about, this is the one we're going to have eyes on the most because of how Aaron Rodgers has handled the situations in Green Bay over the course of the last couple years, especially after they drafted Jordan Love. Then it looks like you pushed away a four-time, a now a four-time MVP, a guy who consistently provides great numbers, leads your team to the playoffs. He's got you a Super Bowl ring. I doubt they're going to draft a quarterback. That's obviously an option, but I don't think that's going to happen. You just drafted Jordan Love. I believe Love is your option right here. If you wanted to say, you know, keep Jordan Love at that backup spot, might as well sign a guy like Andy Dalton or Tyrod Taylor. At this point. We're going to move on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is the most fun one. I liked looking to this one. This was fun because 
You've had the same guy since 2004. Ben Roethlisberger just retired. Historic franchise, six Super Bowls. Mason Rudolph and or Dwayne Haskins should not be taking snaps week one. That would be a huge disappointment. That would be a huge no-no on my department. Yes, Aaron Rodgers should be the number one target. Russell Wilson, Deshaun Jackson, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo should all be considered. All those guys. However, I believe Aaron Rodgers is the guy or you draft a rookie quarterback. You could do both. You could. Kenny Pickett would be a fun pick. He went to college at University of Pittsburgh. So he's right there. Wouldn't be too far away. He's already got a huge fan base. He's the favorite in terms of Steeler fan base because he went to college in Pittsburgh. However, I don't think he's the best fit. Matt Corral from Ole Miss is the best fit for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tough, competitive, SEC bred. Solid passer, arm strength, accuracy, all is there. He's got all the tools. He can run too. He ran for 614 yards this year. He ran 195 yards against Tennessee. SEC matchup. I think this guy is just built to play for Mike Tomlin. If Malik Willis's combine goes strong, he makes a strong case for being the first quarterback to be taken. He's a dual threat. Something we're seeing more than ever. You know, we got Lamar Jackson, we got Josh Allen, we got guys like that, Patrick Mahomes. They can run as well as pass with great ability. Malik Willis has the potential to be in this discussion. He does. Since transferring to Liberty, because he used to attend Auburn, he's rushed for over 1,800 yards in two seasons. This past season, he threw for almost 600 yards more than he did the previous year. And to be honest, if his combine goes well, with the way every single scout is saying he's the most packaged quarterback in this, in this draft, I don't think he's going to be around by the time Pittsburgh picks, even if New Orleans. I think Washington or Denver might have the best odds to swoop him up. If his combine matches well with the skill set he displayed the last two years, as well as the scouts are, you know, praising him in terms of being the best quarterback in this draft. Panthers, Broncos, Commanders, Texans, Giants, Falcons. What do those teams have in common? I'm about to tell you. They all have picks before the Steelers in this year's draft. These teams also have a big QB problem. The Giants seem to be content with Daniel Jones. I think the Falcons are still going to stick with Matt Ryan, even though I think it's time to move on. Will the other teams crack and spoil the QB draft plans for Pittsburgh? We will not be sure until the NFL draft, obviously. The Steelers could draft an O-lineman instead of a first-round pick. And, you know, they could trade for a QB or draft a guy like Sam Howell from North Carolina later on in the draft, just have him on the depth charts. But I don't see the purpose of that when you already have Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. I don't see that. Seems to be the plan if they decide to be passive on acquiring a QB like Rodgers, Wilson, Cousins, and just restarting. Let's say they go with Russell Wilson. He can build a strong relationship with Mike Tomlin because he had a strong one with Pete Carroll. Both are very respectable coaches. Najee Harris is a special weapon. Claypool and Johnson are solid targets. Watson is a huge risk because of his issues off the field. That one is most unlikely. I was just throwing the name out for some fun, and I believe the Steelers should pick up the phone and just ask you know, for his availability. Jimmy G tends to win with a solid supporting cast. He is a winner, as I mentioned before. This past season, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, executing heavy-duty work this season for Jimmy. Garoppolo will walk in with one of the best young running backs in Harris. Deontay Johnson and Claypool, solid receivers. I believe they can make it work in Pittsburgh if Jimmy G's taking snaps. Big question is, this goes for every single team that Jimmy G could possibly be on, if they're winning contenders, of course. Can Jimmy G make the extra push? 
Can he do it? Can he come up in big moments? Can he not let the offense suffer? Can he not let the offense fall behind? Can he not let the offense on the opposing team get opportunities to score? The last option for Pittsburgh, you know, signing a guy like Fitzpatrick, Bridgewater, Winston, whoever. But I don't think that's the I don't think that's it. I think the best option is either getting Aaron Rodgers, full in, full send, powerball move, or you draft a young QB. It's gonna sound very, very repetitive because all these guys are rumored to go to every single team just about. We're gonna talk about Denver now. Again, slam dunk option is Aaron Rodgers. Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy. Rodgers has young upcoming stars that will enter their primes sooner. If they even have a prime, they got somewhat of a shot now with Aaron Rodgers taking snaps. It would cost the team an, a whole lot of draft picks, possibly some players in exchange as well. But for an all-time great for the rest of his career, let's say, should be worth it. In that division, with Mahomes, Carr, Herbert, Aaron Rodgers joining that crew in that division. I think if Rodgers leaves Green Bay, he's going to an AFC team. I think he's going to do him. He's going to pull a Tom Brady, completely switch divisions, find a way to win in the AFC. That way he can say, I've won in the NFC and I've won in the AFC. Rodgers noted Denver as one of the possible options he would play for and he would love to be traded to. Will the Broncos pull the trigger is the main question. Another guy they can look into, Kirk Cousins, solid option. Reuniting with his old offensive coordinator, Kirk Kubiak. Vikings would save $35 million giving Cousins away. He's entering his final year. And he would go into that division facing those three quarterbacks as I mentioned before. He has experience facing competitive quarterbacks. He played in the NFC East at one point. He's faced Aaron Rodgers the last couple of years. Will he be enough to push the Broncos ahead of a of a you know a competitive division? Honestly, I don't think so. I think Mahomes, Herbert, and Carr are better than Cousins, and I think a lot of people can agree with me on that. Kirk Cousins is just there. He's he's that guy in the group that is just there. Solid weapons in Minnesota. Where did that lead him? What did he do with that offense? Nothing. Nothing at all. No extra push. The defense you can credit has been terrible in Minnesota. But still, I don't think Kirk Cousins gets the job done over there in Denver. I think Aaron Rodgers, of course, as well as obviously, is the better fit in Denver. Russell Wilson also mentioned interest in Denver. He would waive his no-trade clause for the Denver Broncos. Again, will Denver pull the trigger? Wilson has young receivers, developing running back, a better offensive line. One thing to note is that Seattle does not have a first-round pick this draft. In the Jamal Adams trade to the Jets, they gave away their first-round pick this year to the Jets. So the Jets now hold the number 10 pick overall. If I'm Seattle, I am calling Denver or any other team basically that has interest in Russell Wilson and saying, look, here's Russell Wilson. We need a first-round pick. Plenty of them because Russell Wilson is a top-tier quarterback in the last several years. He's, his, he has declined this past year, but I believe with a new start, new weapons, he can get the job done. New Orleans, next team. Currently, Taysom Hill, Ian Book, Blake Bortles, Trevor Simeon are the guys in New Orleans. I'm tired of seeing Taysom Hill at quarterback. I really am. Is he terrible? No. 
Is he average or low average to me? He's not a quarterback. He's a guy that can play multiple positions, including quarterback, but he should not be the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. No shot. I doubt New Orleans is going to swing for the fences and acquire a Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, Aaron Rodgers. I think drafting with caution is the Saints' best bet. They seem to take the, t- the cheap option in most cases. I doubt they're going to go for a big contract and a big name. Pickett and Corral are the best fits. I'm saying this because I believe Malik Willis is going to be gone. I think Washington or Denver is going to swoop up and take him. I don't think Willis is going to be around, but I also think Pickett and Corral are best fits. Corral is the most talented before going down with an injury in the Sugar Bowl. Pickett has thrown 42 touchdowns this past year, along with over 4,300 yards. Corral played in the SEC, as I mentioned before. He completed roughly 68% of his passes this past season. Now, I look at Kenny Pickett, and I feel like he's going to be the selection here between the two. He gives me just the Taysom Hill vibes, but I think he's going to be better than him. But the only thing is that physical features do hinder draft status. Pickett's hand size apparently is small. However, the quarterback representing the AFC in the Super Bowl this year, hands are smaller than nine inches. The quarterback that has been to the AFC Championship the last four years, nine and a quarter inches hand size. So hand size shouldn't be the end of the world, but can he continue the pinpoint accuracy to all areas of the field? Because by far, Kenny Pickett's the most improved quarterback in this draft class. I don't think we'd be talking about Kenny being a first-round pick if it wasn't for this season and the amount of improvements he has made. Compare it to Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow improved in all aspects of his game, putting up one of the best college quarterback seasons I have ever seen his final year. Pickett played in the ACC. Burrow played in the SEC. Pickett still played in a very competitive conference. Improving in the ACC is impressive. But can you continue that trend in the professional level? It's going to be really tough to to face. I still believe Matt Corral would be the better option to go, but I think Pickett is just the more favorite pick. I like that word play right there. Pickett is most likely to be selected by the New Orleans Saints if the time comes. I just think he will be the better fit. And I think Matt Corral is just built to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. So that'll conclude today's episode. Thank you all for joining and thank you for listening. If you guys are tuning in once again, thank you. If you guys are new, please look forward to next Friday as I'll record my next episode and we'll release it whenever the time comes. I appreciate everyone tuning in and listening to what I have to say. Just another sports fan just going on another rant. What can I say? Your luck's ran out. I'm Julius Lux and I'll be signing off. Till next time.